Welcome to the Relationships Matter podcast. I'm your host, Dan Doster. Are you considering a career change? Don't go it alone. Come, join the discussion, and listen as my mid-career guests discover and reveal their decision-making process to move from successful business jobs to consulting, entrepreneuring, or taking early retirement. Welcome to the show. My friend and guest, Tony Bonner, is both a capable patent attorney and a successful entrepreneur. Listen as he describes the role that luck has played in his career, as well as the importance of considered risk-taking as an entrepreneur. Welcome to the show, Tony. Thanks for having me, Dan. Hey, so uh, so tell me about your background. Uh, what are some of the highlights you've had in your career thus far? Well, um, as you know, I was born in Lexington, went to school all the way through in Lexington, and got a, a scholarship to go to a small school in Lexington, Transylvania University. Um, I played soccer there under scholarship and had some academic money and uh, ended up getting a degree from Transy, but uh, was really more of an engineering mathematic type of mind. And so um, Transy had this program, uh, it's called a 3-2 engineering program. So after my third year at Transy, I transferred to the University of Kentucky, where I completed the engineering part of my degree. And in, I guess, about one, I graduated from University of Kentucky with an engineering degree. And then at the same time, I got my degree from Transy. And so I really enjoyed electrical engineering. It was well suited for my mind and the way that I think. And I really enjoyed my time there. But when I started thinking about what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, I didn't see myself as a programmer or in in the area of Kentucky in the Midwest at the time. It was most of the engineering jobs were maintenance type jobs, maintaining uh, factories and different things like that. It wasn't design type of jobs that are really a lot of fun. And so <laughs> I started looking at engineering or excuse me, engineering uh, postgraduate. I was looking at business school and I was looking at law school and i uh, my soccer coach, my college soccer coach was an attorney. He said, you should really look into patent law because you can use your engineering degree, but still as a, as a lawyer, you can do quite well in that. And I started looking into it. It really intrigued me in that you get to touch so many different types of inventions and you really get to use everything that you've learned so far in this one profession. And so um, I went to UK uh, law school, graduated in 04 and uh we start to interview after the first summer. So, you know, for summer clerkships, you start interviewing and there's this entitlement at the time where I'm a law student, <laughs> I'm going to get a job. You know, they post signups on the board and you just get a job and it's not quite that easy. And so I go into the career services office and I talk to the Dean and I said, I, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to have a job. And so she started talking to me and she said, you know, there's this one firm in Atlanta, Georgia that's interviewing and they want electrical engineer first years. To, to interview for positions. And so it was during our spring break. So I go down there, um, drive down there for the interview, drove right back. I mean, it's one of those things where I'm still wearing the suit, the, the wool suits, itchy, <laughs> driving six hours, you know, the whole deal. And, um, and so I, I luckily had gotten a job offer in Lexington when I got back. And so you probably most people don't know this, but when you interview for jobs your first year, if you get an offer, they only have to hold it open for two weeks because they're just trying to fill spots, right? Sure. And so um, so the job that I got the offer was for a nice firm in Lexington, but they didn't do any IP law or anything like that. And it was, I think they pay in 15 bucks an hour. 
And uh, wow. I know. <laughs> and so I, uh, the, the job in Atlanta was paying orders of magnitude more. And so um, I called him up and I said, listen, I have this job offer. Um, I don't know what you think of me. I don't know if, where I am on your list, but unless you want me, I'm going to go ahead and take this job. I just wanted to say, if you want to offer me, I will take it. You know, no, no, no questions no, asked. Uh, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure at all. <laughs> and, and so the guy, he goes, you're actually the guy we want. Um, and I was shocked at that, but he's like, you're the guy we want, but we can't just give you an offer. I got to bring you down to have a in-person interview with the whole firm. And so I told the other offer that I was not going to take the job. I was going to take a chance with this other place, uh, which I was later told was really dumb because um, <laughs> you never turned down an offer your first year. But my, my thought was it that job wasn't what I wanted to do. And I was willing to roll the dice and take a chance on this job that was what I wanted to do. And so went in there and uh, got the job, luckily. And it was funny because after talking with the recruiting partner at the time, he said, we thought it was all a shtick. He said, we thought we were, you were just part of negotiating with us, trying to get us to get the job. And I was like, no, I really did. It was, I wish I was that sophisticated. I was just telling you the truth. And um, so anyway, I loved the job. I loved the people there. I loved the work. Um, as you know, we've worked with some of the top uh, titans in the industry of electrical engineering and stuff like that. And uh, so it was a really great place. I worked with some really smart people, some really nice people, and um, spent two summers there. So I spent both summers. And then I got the job out of law school there and stayed there for six years. Um, and they at that firm, it was a six-year partnership track. And it, I was on my sixth year, and I had made a pitch for early partnership, but it was um, it had to have been like '09. You know, economy is completely mm. in the garbage, and they were really laying people off. Every it just was a bad time. My perspective was make me a partner, and then the risks on me, not on you. But they didn't see it that way. But uh, <laughs> needless to say, they uh, they said you're going to make partner this next year, and I said, well, fork in the road. Is this where I want to be? Do I want to? stay in Atlanta and, you know, I love the job, love the people. And, or do I want to go closer to home? You start to look at the bigger picture and you start to say, if I'm going to be successful at this, I can't just be a one trick pony where I bill a lot of hours. I have to, I have to be able to manage clients. I got to be able to originate clients. I got to be able to, to make sure that I've got all the bases covered so that if something happens, you can't, control the economy. You can't control a lot of things, but you control your practice. And if you are, if you have your own clients, then you have control of that work. I'm now at Dinsmore. I found Dinsmore from an online ad. Again, I've, story of my career, online ad, looking for electrical engineer. And so you've been at Dinsmore for 10 years. I have 10 years now. Yeah. And, um, you know, I made, I think I made partner. They have a wait. You have to wait a certain number of years if you come in at that time. And so I made partner in 13 well, I, I guess I started upon my partnership in 14 because I was getting married in November of 13. And that was sort of the dead time uh, between associate and partner years is the way they did it. And then uh, made equity a couple of years ago. Talk about kind of a circuitous route. And, and it seems like the key to your success is wait until something happens in one place and then go out and use that as leverage to get the next thing. <laughs> Inadvertently. <laughs> 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 so, so you've been in Lexington. So the even though you interviewed in Cincinnati, you set up shop in Lexington, or is there another office, Dinsmore office, down there? 
Oh, the, our main office is in Cincinnati. And so when they, at, at the time I interviewed and took the job, Dinsmore was at 450 or so attorneys and about 35 in the IP. We were a group yet at that time. We weren't yet at a department. And so I was sort of, I wouldn't say the first, but I was one of the first um, satellite office IP attorneys they had hired. Well, I started transitioning down like once a month in Lexington, and then it was a gradual transition. And then finally, we had grown so fast that one day they called me and said, you don't have an office here anymore, so just stay down in Lexington. (laughs) Right with me. You know, that's perfect. (laughs) So were you able to realize your dream of getting your own client base and managing, being able to secure and retain? Yeah, I mean... Obviously, it's it's a dynamic type of thing, and I'm still a young partner, so to speak. Uh, a lot of my clients now consider me friends outside of the work, and uh, and I, to me, that's important because if you have a problem with something I'm doing, I want you to be able to feel honest to say, hey, this isn't working. Let's fix it, as opposed to stonewalling me and looking somewhere else. or do, I mean, there's an honesty and a trust there that I think you build with people. Absolutely. And then in terms of the areas of law, it's primarily patent prosecution, licensing, litigation support. I mean, I have a very broad practice, both in terms of technology and in uh, legal space. Sounds great. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. And then, you know, back in the the firm I was in in Atlanta, I mean, it was like I said, it was a great firm. Um, They're what is called in the industry a a pros shop. And they they get patent applications, they write them, they draft them, they get them through the patent office. And that's pretty much all they did. I mean, they do other stuff, but... Um, to me, there was more to intellectual property law than just that. And as much as I like doing that, I like the licensing. I like uh, negotiating deals. I like um, due diligence in acquisitions and um, non-infringement positions in litigation. I like doing all those sort of things. I love strategizing on portfolios. I mean, that sort of stuff is what really stokes my fire, so to speak. Oftentimes in these podcasts, we talk about a pivot or a shift from one thing to the other. It sounds like uh, you maybe have had a few of those uh, along the way. Can you articulate maybe anything that you would describe as as a pivot from heading in one direction to another? And then tell me how you thought through making those decisions. Yeah, I mean, certainly the, the move from Atlanta to Lexington or Cincinnati, Lexington was a, a pivot. Um, and And the reason it was it was a difficult change, to be honest with you, because uh, when I was in law school, there was no IP in Lexington. I mean, there was a small firm of a couple guys, maybe a couple of firms, I mean, maybe four or five attorneys in the entire city of Lexington, because there just wasn't any work of that kind in Lexington or in the region, really. And uh, so that's why I went down to Atlanta, because Atlanta has all these Fortune 500 tech companies, and it's all local. And so that was an easy spot to get experience. In 2010, um, there was still not as much as in Atlanta. There's still not as much today as there is in Atlanta. But um, part of the difficulty was you have to find clients outside your region. Um, you know, if I want to live in Lexington, I, there's not enough Lexington work to to make me successful. So I have to have a broader reach than that. And and one thing Dinsmore does is, as I said, we were 450 and 30 in the IP group. Now we're over 700 and we have over 100 in the IP department. And so we have a national practice where I have offices all over the country that I can go visit and my clients feel like I'm just a a call or a Zoom away. Um, And so that was the big change is to, you know, 
taking something comfortable in terms of location and changing it to something that's going to be more challenging um, to do because it's not in your back door. The, the process of thinking through it is the pros and cons of each of the choices. Yeah, and, and yet, no matter what you do, I mean, you, with anything, you're trying to predict the future, right? I mean, there's no guarantees. You're looking at the pros and the cons, and uh, it could have gone disastrous. You know, it very well could have been bad, and uh, it's possible that I had to move back to Atlanta within a year or two. But luckily, um, I caught this wave of a firm who was um, – they were growing when everybody else was laying off. I mean, they were hiring people um, aggressively in 2008, nine, and 10 – and it really positioned them well to, and us well, to be now a more successful firm than some of those peers at the time. And so I was lucky to, to you know, choose that firm, for them to choose me. Um, I was lucky in that, um, you know, as bad as the timing was, that, you know, it, the stars just sort of aligned for us to get there. And then, you know, one of my big clients was a, um, a guy I met. He was in Atlanta. Uh, at a small firm doing mergers and acquisitions. And uh, he happened to join the same golf club that I did. And we hit it off and we played golf. And he was my basically only friend at this golf course. And he said, hey, I took a job at this company in Evansville, Indiana. Uh, Let's keep in touch. And so (laughs) we left Atlanta about the same time. You know, again, another one of my close friends who's now also a client. And, you know, there's a no matter what anybody tells you. There's a lot of luck involved. Um, you have to put yourself in the right position, but there's a lot of luck. Tell us a little bit about the other entrepreneurial activity that you're involved in. I think that's an interesting story. Yeah, so um, I am an owner of Newport Dry Cleaners in Lexington, Frankfurt, and Louisville, and uh, so we own uh, one plant. I think it's just one plant, one plant, and eight or nine stores. It's constantly changing, but. Um, we got into that. So it was 2011 and my brother-in-law and I, um, he's very entrepreneurial as well. And we were looking at investment opportunities and not really knowing what we're doing, but uh, we decided we wanted to start a laundry and dry cleaning delivery service to the college campuses. And we called it Laundry 101. And so it was the easiest day you'll ever get or something. And it was, it was pretty successful considering we started it from scratch. I mean, we, we had an online portal where you would get a text message three days a week saying, do you want pickup? And you text them back and we'd have a manifest and the whole deal. And we did that for several years. And, uh, we, I think we had probably 1500 or 2000 customers, um, in Lexington. It was, it was, but we weren't making any money. I mean, <laughs> it's a great business if it weren't for the money, right? Um, and so we realized that we, were, we weren't doing the laundry. We were contracting that out. And as generous as our partner was, it, there just wasn't enough on the bone for us to really make, A, make enough money to make it worth our while, but B, to turn a profit that justified the risk. And so we looked at buying a, a dry cleaner. And so we bought what's called a package store. And I didn't know this, but a package store is back in the 80s or early 90s when dry cleaning was really hopping. You had these guys who would have a hundred thousand bucks or eighty thousand bucks, and they would get in a strip mall and they would put the dry cleaner in the store. And so it was just that one operation. So we bought one of those, and um, it was a disaster. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that this place has been maintained. I hope hope this has a happy ending. I didn't mean to bring up. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Um, 
so it, no, but I mean, the, just the running this um, dry cleaner, it was just had not been maintained. I mean, it had been band-aided for a decade and, and it was actually more expensive to run than it was to contract it out to a big player who had a more efficient system. Since then, we've acquired, we acquired um, a couple of Concord cleaners, uh, which is in Frankfurt. And uh, we've acquired uh, an operation out of Louisville that they had other financial issues. And so they were basically just going to shut the doors. And we kind of said, hey, we'll, we'll cover your costs if you just hand over your stores to us. And so we did that. And so we've sort of just grown organically like that. And um, obviously, the dry cleaning industry is not a growing industry. And COVID has certainly hurt us um, a lot, but we we believe that with consolidation and efficiencies, we can make it a good, you know, little money maker. Very nice, very yeah. nice. So will will that likely sprout into other things, or is that uh, is that kind of the project for now? I'm a Warren Buffett believer, and he always says if you can have multiple streams of income, that's the you know diversification of income is what you want to do. And so ideally that would be one of my sources. And obviously I have the um, attorney gig that I really enjoy and, you know, I'd like to get one more at least under my belt, but you never know. My brother-in-law, he's, uh, we, th- it's funny. We're, we're really good friends. We think very differently. He's sort of the idea man. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't. And I tell him, I was like, don't take my negativity as me trying to dissuade you from these ideas. Most of them are going to be terrible, but all it takes is one. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. <laughs> and so, uh, and so that's sort of the way we work. And hopefully, he's not too frustrated with me. But um, I think we're a pretty good team. Any regrets in what you're doing so far? Um, you know, there's always regrets. Um, but you can't look backwards. You got to look forwards. I mean, if in terms of learning lessons, um. You know, I would probably have, I've probably done something different, but I just don't know what it is. I mean, not to say that I couldn't be more successful. There are people more successful than I am, but I've sort of been, I'm always the kind of guy that it's never as good as it seems. It's never as bad as it seems. And so um, I sort of like the choices I've made. You know, I probably should spend more time with my wife and child, but Corona has helped me do that. So that's been great. Um <laughs> You so just not, never know. You never <laughs> you know. Just, <laughs> you never know. And that, I mean, the, one of the silver linings of the coronavirus is that um, unless I have a lunch meeting every day, I eat lunch with my four-year-old daughter, and my wife. And so that's that's mm. been a lot of fun. And so uh, those are the years that you don't get back. I mean, you don't get back any of them, but watching her grow and, you know, things she says, it's been a lot of fun. Any advice for others? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, if, if I were going to give some advice, I mean, don't be afraid to take a risk. Um, I mean, there's very little that can be undone or that's going to destroy you. You're going to have to get out on that ledge at some point and jump. And if you're willing to make it work, um, then work for it. And then the second thing is if you're an entrepreneur, to me, everybody has a good idea. Um, execution of the idea is a different thing. And so make sure your team is the best team that you can put together. If you have, a weak link in terms of personality, in terms of work ethic, it's, they can bring down that one person can bring down the whole operation. So don't be shy. Don't waste time to save people's feelings. If it's not working, you need to know that and, uh, and let them know immediately. Oh, that's great. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I hope, <laughs> I hope I did well. 
You did. <laughs> My thanks to Tony for the clarity of his thinking and his openness to share those thoughts with us. As Tony reminded us, the consequences of most poor decisions can be overcome with diligence and a solid working relationship with your business partners. It may be best to keep an eye on Tony if you live in Kentucky. It sounds like his next endeavor may be just around the corner. This brings us to the end of the Relationships Matter podcast. I'm your host, Dan Doster. Thank you for listening. Feel free to reach out via email, dan.relationshipsmatter at gmail.com. And remember, as my dad always said, the fun is in the run.